Hey, you are listening to Daily Discoveries, and this is Oscar. And this is Sanjana. This is the podcast where we discuss scientific articles weekly from the science section of the Daily. We are back. It is spring quarter, and we're getting Daily Discoveries rolling again. <laughs> And Oscar's back. I'm back from Germany. Uh, this week, we have found an exciting paper from PNAS, and it's called Influence of Glycan Structure on the Colonization of Streptococcus pneumoniae on Human res- Respiratory Epithelial Cells. And basically, this paper, it uses streptococcus pneumoniae as a model, sort of, is how I saw it, and... It wants to study the significance of certain glycans that cover almost all living cells. And it wants to know what the importance of these glycan structures are in the pathogenicity of Streptococcus pneumoniae and, in the future, other pathogens. The importance of these uh, cell-coating sugars, or as they call them in this paper, and as they are more formally known as, capsular polysaccharides, is that they are the target for vaccines for uh, streptococcus pneumoniae, and it is thought that the negative charge on these capsular polysaccharides is what allows for adhesion and infection, but this paper suggests that there are also other factors on these uh, glycans that support adhesion and support pathogenicity. So just quickly about streptococcus pneumoniae, I also did a little background on it because I thought it was cool, it's good to know about this very prevalent bacteria. First of all, it causes the symptoms of, as we know, pneumonia. It's like the, the main driver of pneumonia. And it is listed as priority for antibiotic development by the WHO, especially because of their ability to become antibiotic resistant. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, it is also a well-established commensal. I did not know this, but it lives in the upper respiratory tract of roughly 40% of infants and 10% of adults, and that is most likely an underestimate. On the other hand, they can cause severe disease when they migrate down to the lower respiratory tract, and then eventually can get really severe as it gets into the bloodstream and the meninges. The widespread use of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccines, or PCVs, has reduced this invasive disease of serotypes with the capsular polysaccharide types that are actually, that are included in this vaccine. However, the streptococcus pneumonia has, uh, is able to remodel its genome through the uptake and incorporation of exogenous DNA from other pneumococci or closely related ones. And this is what allows for antibiotic resistance and the evasion of vaccine induced immunity. And I think there's more than a hundred different serotypes, which makes it very different or very difficult to create a vaccine and you can't really include all the serotypes. I'm not sure why, but in the most common vaccines, they include a, I'm not sure how many, like 12 or something. But the problem is that they include the ones that are most common in Western countries. So US and Europe mostly. Serotypes are very geographical. They depend on the people who need the vaccine in other areas, not in the Western world. They are at a disadvantage when it comes to that. Also, the serotypes are included for the ones that are very antibiotic resistant. Let's get into the paper a little bit. 
the paper or they cite a different paper, but so the invasiveness of the bacteria is very strongly correlated with the negatively charged glycan structures or the negatively charged CPS serotype. And the understanding of the different parts of the glycan structure that are involved with adhesion and pathogenicity may be helpful in determining the next vaccine targets because of this unpredictability with which Streptococcus pneumoniae are going to become the next ones. If we know the structures that are commonly uh, re related to, or causing strong pathogenicity, then we could create vaccines that include these um, glycan structures and then possibly the vaccine is actually effective against ones we haven't even seen yet or ones that haven't even evolved yet. So what they did in the study, they generated 258 isogenic capsule switched mutants and they display at least one of the 84 capsule types. So I think, I think there's more than 101, but they included 84, which is pretty good, I guess. Don't know why they didn't include all of them. I don't know if they were maybe not able to create them, but the mutants uh, were then, there was actually a molecular barcode that was added and this allowed them to identify the different serotypes because they made 258 and they had to somehow identify which ones were sticking better, which ones were invading the cells better. And they tested their ability to bind to both human nasal epithelial cells, which is like upper respiratory tract, and then the bronchial epithelial cells, which will be lower respiratory tract. And that's relevant because they invade both. They start off in the upper and then migrate towards the lower. So they studied glycans and kind of observed which ones were sticking better and then the, looked at the ones that were sticking better, what was similar between them. And the results weren't extremely convincing. They sort of hinted at some of the correlations. Um, they did find a strong correlation that two serotypes that were rich in rhamnos, which is found on bacteria usually, did not help. It actually negatively affected, or at least the ones that had rhamnos, did not bind very well to the epithelial cells. On the other hand, the ones that did bind well were very similar to human glycans. Yeah, they did a little bit of cytokine testing, and it looks like they like the biggest thing was that if you actually delete the capsule, you have the most yes, uh, cytokines. And part of that's because they had hypothesized that some of the capsular proteins actually inhibit adhesion. So as you have more capsular proteins, it's harder. So you, there are like proteins meant for sticking to cells, and then there are proteins, like these capsular proteins, and uh, sometimes they compete with one another. And so if you have a lot of capsular proteins, it's harder to adhere. So They kind of have to evolve the most ideal one, yeah. both sticking and evading immune response. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, what they tested was that they tested which capsules caused the most secretion of cytokines, especially IL-6, which is associated with streptococcus pneumoniae. Yeah, as, as you said, there was a huge difference between no, no capsule and capsule. So somehow the capsule helped in protecting against cytokine secretion and like detection basically by the immune system. Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing they, they mentioned is yeah, you're going to have a lot, and usually like high cytokines are associated with like really immunogenic responses because cytokines are inflammatory proteins. But what I thought was kind of cool is they discussed like maybe these are actually helping them evade the immune system. So you're not getting a large immune response, which I was like, yes, oh, exactly. yeah. that's kind of, kind of sneaky by the bacteria. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought well, the other cool thing that they had mentioned was part of the issue with prior experiments is they had used clinical isolates. So basically, you know, they're interested in what causes these different clinical isolates pathogenicity, and they were doing all these tests on them, but they're using a bunch of different ones, and they were drawing conclusions about the capsular polysaccharide. But the issue is, like, different isolates will have different genes just in general. Like, they'll have an entire different genome. And so by using an isogenic, so, like, the one genome from this uh, streptococcus pneumoniae, and then varying what the capsular polysaccharide was, they were able to basically just test one. Like, they were able to control really well for it. So I was, I thought that was really nice. Like, very nicely done on their part to just control for that one change of protein. And they also controlled for other things, which we liked as well, which was in the initial thing they talked about was how they developed their cell assay and did not use cancer cells like a lot of other studies have. Yeah, so the cancer cells, was one, like not, not, not everyone has lung cancer. Uh, and so the cells they used were human. They actually screened a bunch of human individuals and so they got them, their human cells. And so you're actually able to create you know, it's never going to be perfect because you're doing a cell assay, so you're not getting the whole system. But this is going to be much more accurate as to what might be happening. In comparison to a cancer, like, there's already things going wrong in cancer. So it's harder, in my, at least in my opinion, to get really accurate responses from your in vitro assay with cancer cells for something like this where you're dealing with bacterial infection. Right. The cancer cells are kind of a lazy approach because they're easy to create and and keep as as opposed to these endothelial cells, which are probably epithelial cells, sorry, that are probably e are much harder to streptococcus pneumonia doesn't actually adhere very well to them compared to epithelial cells. Yeah, I think they cells. also mentioned that like all the cancer cell stuff they had to do with it. I don't know if there was like not only was it the cell, but also just the culture conditions. Like I can't remember if it was the buffer or if it was like the continual like submerging of them. But yeah, there was issues with adhesion. And all sorts of things that you just generally wouldn't, like, it was conditions that would not generally be seen by these streptococcus pneumonia. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, studies like this can continue and we can continue getting more and more accurate results from our in vitro assays. Because, you know, they're a lot easier to do than a human study. Yes. Don't think you can expose uh, humans to 258 different isogenic streptococcus pneumonia. <laughs> I mean, they only know 101 of the serotypes. Apparently, there's, like, a lot more. Yeah. Well, they're constantly evolving. That's the yeah. cool part. So they, the enzymes that make these sugars, or, yeah, make the sugars, they have genes that they can switch so that they can create different enzymes and kind of this kind of changes the structure of the sugar. And then in addition to that, have different enzymes that transfer, or yeah, so sugar transferases are the ones that, the enzyme that transfers the sh sugar once made onto the protein. So they have diversity in that sense as well. So both making different combinations of sugars and then adding them to different places of the protein, this causes lots of, yeah, different variations and allows this bacteria to evade both the immune system and then also antibiotics. I mean, also one of the results was like kind of obvious. They found that like, the CPS or the serotypes that have like the glycan structure that's similar to like a human was better at adhesion than bacteria. And I feel like, well, it's kind of obvious we're working with human cells. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think like, I don't know, sometimes it becomes, sometimes biology, you can, 
And it was really hard to think about as design. You're like, why would you ever design something like this? <laughs> the other times you're like, oh, this totally makes sense. I would design it like that too. But then you have to realize that this like these things evolve by chance. Yeah. Which is even weirder to think about. You're like, what? Yeah. It, it like, just works. It all works somehow. It was all by chance. It is. <laughs> it's kind of... It, always blows my mind. It always does. I also like did not understand some of these terms. Do you know what a glyco letter and glyco words are? What? <laughs> I don't know. Wait, where did I would that interpret that? it as like it a glyco letter would be It says in this study we sought to identify the glyco letter and glyco words that govern attachment to the human airway epithelial cells. I interpret that as the glyco letters being the monosaccharides that build up the glyco okay. words of oh, okay. glyco pro that's or that's no. how I would interpret it. Yeah. But is that them using like a metaphor? <laughs> like, they make that up themselves, or do people actually say that? Well, you never know. Maybe scientists say that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. We just learned some new science slang. New science slang. <laughs> cool. Never find something. Do you know what the whole point of the randomness part of their paper was? Like, what were they trying to prove? I think in general, like they set out to prove things about. Uh, the polysaccharides because other people have been like, oh, we think these properties are important. And I feel like low-key, they were like, turns out, we don't really know what properties are important. We investigated Ramnos, and it trends in the right direction. But if it's actually, like, correct, it's like... Eh, it, it, yeah. I think, yeah, their wording was like, it trends yeah. well. So I think it was just something that, like, popped out of their screens. Yeah, because so. they mentioned, like, multiple times in the paper that they straight up just don't know like what the mechanism is, they just see this trend, but they don't know like why it's like that. Yeah, I, you know, I think these studies are nice because now they give people who are a little bit more on like the biochemistry, biophysics side of things, they want to investigate it. Like these are nice targets for them to investigate what's actually going on, but... Well, they were pretty optimistic towards the end about this sort of method to identify different glycan structures as being something that they can be used for other pathogens as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why you couldn't use this for, like, any sort of respiratory pathogen, and then you could probably move on and do, like, the sort of culturing. Like, I wonder if you could do it for different wounds, like, if you can harvest mm. different, like, tissues, um, like, get t cells from different tissue, and then you can... Oh, and see adhesion to these wounds? Yeah, see, like, uh, interaction maybe between the cells and the... I, I almost guarantee that they're doing, like, labs have already started developing, like, tissues. I think sometimes it's called, like, organ on a chip, when you can look at, like, you literally, like, basically culture and you create a synthetic tissue with the correct uh, fluidics going through it. And so, yeah, we did the organoid brains. Exactly. The, or the organoid brains going back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish in the methods they mentioned... They, I wish they mentioned, like, how they generated all the mutants. Yes, exactly. That's but it's I not wondering. in here. I think part they briefly. They said what the method was called, but... Or is it the one that says pooling? I'm not going to lie. Part of me does wonder if they just isolated all of these. Like, if they just knew the DNA sequence of the different serotypes. Because it might be known which glycopro... Like, because like, all you need is a DNA, right? So... If they knew the DNA that led to this different glycosylation, <clears throat> yeah. then you could get that. Now, part of me does wonder if they're doing different, like, because they're pulling these genes from different ones, if you would di get different glycosylation patterns across different strains. Yeah. Um, I don't think they, did they validate that they actually saw the correct glycosylation? 
Yes, they yes. Okay, sure they, did. they compared it to already known ones. Oh, it says um, CPS switch mutants were generated by allylic exchange. That's what it is. Yes, allylic yeah. exchange. Okay, so they didn't. Where did they say that? Okay, so I don't think this. Is, I don't think the allylic exchange is how they generated no, all and the then, different PCR products. I think they the allylic exchange. So yeah, they they put this like in the same position in the gene. Yeah, and they um, changed it with a sweet Janus cassette. Yeah, so I think the so the cassette is I think is generally like you ha- you'll have this and then you'll have antibiotic resistance marker to actually pull it in. Yeah. Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.